Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast, available on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts from, so you don't miss a single episode. Hello and welcome along to Football Digest Extra Time with me, Ned Keating. Uh, joining me in a late change to the running order, sound like an ITV uh, continuity announcer there, don't I? In a late change to the, to the, to the printed schedule. Um, hopefully Nathan Ridley will be joining us in a little bit this morning, but for now we do have the lovely Connor Bromley with us uh, to run the rule over the biggest talking points from the weekend's Premier League action. Uh, Connor, we're going to start with, of course, Man United against Arsenal. I don't think there's really uh, anywhere else we can start. And of course, it wasn't Man United against Arsenal, it was Arsenal against Manchester United. You could see that I'm nice and uh, early and up to speed with things this morning. But, Connor, that game, that result, um, it was like a throwback, wasn't it, to about 20 years ago, you know, for us when we were little nippers and little kids and, and we were kind of used to Arsenal Man United games being big title deciders, great games, great entertainment as well. And then it kind of seemed during the 10s, you know, the mid, mid kind of part of the last decade to kind of drop off a bit as the two teams kind of fell away from where they previously were. But, for sure, this weekend it had it all. It was a title decider again, possibly, potentially, whether or not you know Man United were in the title race beforehand is up for debate. But the, the drama and the entertainment, we can't debate that at all. What a game um, and what a win for Arsenal as well. Yeah, I think it was it was definitely a title decider for Arsenal. I think they they looked at this game as a one that the they definitely couldn't lose, but to, to win it in the manner that did with that last minute goal was was well just brilliant for them. And I think it feels I think Cesc Fabregas was on the um, Sky Sports after the game and he'd said that everything feels like it's going in the, the right way for Arsenal all the momentum's there everyone in the stadium they're all singing from the same hymn sheet and, and you really feel that at the minute I think Arteta's done such a good job of galvanising that club I mean you remember when he came in there and they just had Unai Emery and the club was just a shell of what it was you know back to the hybrid days the, the move had never really worked Um for Arsenal to the Emirates but now it, you know there's an atmosphere there it's not a library anymore it feels like Arsenal are, are really trending in the right direction and it was a brilliant game I, I thoroughly enjoyed it I made a beeline to make sure I was watching it and I didn't regret it uh, a 3-2 in them sorts of games sometimes they end up like a, a damp squib we saw Liverpool Chelsea do that on Saturday afternoon a nil-nil there it was a poor game but this one had it all and um, I, I thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed it and Hopefully the title race, you know, hopefully we do get a bit of a race. At the minute, Arsenal's kind of running away with it and you like to see a bit of, you know, I'd like to see Arsenal maybe bottle it a little bit, you know, maybe lose some games they shouldn't just so we can get like a bit of a, a race going. But yeah, it was it was a great game. Yeah, as a Tottenham fan, I, I definitely kind of join you in that in that hope that Arsenal do bottle it and make it a bit more exciting. Uh, as mentioned at the top of the show, we are now joined by Nathan Ridley. Uh, Nathan, uh, unfortunately for yourself, uh, uh, you know, as we spoke about just before we came on air today, a, a Man United fan, so it's probably not the, the greatest thing uh, for you to talk about this game, but just view it as a therapy session. I've been a Spurs fan on this show long enough. <laughs> I've had a fair few of these therapy sessions and they're nice and free, so just remember that. Um, but in terms of the game and, and how it progressed, I think we have to talk about Eddie and Ketia, really, Nathan, this morning, first up. Um, phenomenal talent. We all knew that. But now he's getting his chance for the Arsenal team and he's taken it. And much like last season as well, when he came into this side, came into the first team, took his chance with a plum, then obviously missed out when, uh, in terms of a starting role, when Gabriel Jesus joined the club and he was kind of having to play back up to him. Now Gabriel Jesus is out injured. It's back to Eddie and Ketia, And he's taken his chance again. Every time Arsenal have had to trust him in the last kind of, you know, couple of years, 18 months, whatever, 
Eddie and Ketty was showing why he probably you know could even do a job as Arsenal's leading man from the off. You know, we now kind of look back and wonder whether or not they should have just trusted him from the summer, need, not needed to sign Gabriel Jesus. Is he now knocking potentially on the door for England on us as well? Uh, I think that'll be a, a certainty come come March. Uh, Tammy Abraham hasn't had the greatest of seasons, nor Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Callum Wilson should get a shout, but uh, especially in the beginning of qualification, I think, and a bit of a, a fresh start, I think Gareth Southgate will will definitely want to look at him. Uh, I think it makes sense. But yeah, he's he's done brilliantly. And uh, I think it probably speaks to Arsenal as a squad now um, that... Sometimes fringe players, you know, when things aren't going well, it can be the fringe players that, you know, singled out and it's they can either be disruptive or used against the manager and things like that. And I think there was a period last season where Arsenal fans maybe thought he wasn't getting a fair crack at the whip because they were persisting with Aubameyang and Lacazette. And I think some Arsenal fans were thinking, why don't we just go with Enketia? And in the end, it's worked out that way. And then this season, uh, obviously, he got that contract, which was... Uh, a little bit of a debacle where would he stay, would he go? I think a lot of people were thinking, well, maybe he should have a fresh start, but Arteta clearly had a plan for him. He clearly fit in the squad and even though Jesus was coming in, he still featured fairly prominently even when Jesus was fit because he's the second choice striker and he was he was a good impact substitute, but he's done brilliantly and yesterday was, I mean, it's two goals that a striker on form really, particularly the last one, uh, I think, the first one was was great, you know, a great striker player to get in around Wan Bissaka, but just that little deft deft flick. I think uh, Roy Keane likened it to Ian Wright a bit before my time, but I think those type of finishes are the mark of someone who's just flowing on confidence because maybe for the likes of Carl Lewin, Abraham over in Rome, maybe they're not getting those type of goals, but at the moment it's going for Enketia and he's uh, he's just soaring and he's he's running really hot. Connor, just before. The weekend's action, uh, obviously we had the news on Friday that Leandro Trossard had signed for Arsenal coming in, adding some much-needed depth perhaps in those uh, attacking positions because Arsenal have had... It, it was it's, it's brilliant the run that they've had in terms of... And, and you normally see this with teams that, that do tend to do well in the title race. Uh, but the injuries that they've had and the runs that they've had without injuries, basically, I think in terms of that starting eleven, you know, it's pretty much been the same every week aside from obviously where Gabriel Jesus has, has been out injured now. However, that might tell its toll when we come to the business end of the season in a few months' time. I know it sounds bizarre we're in January, but we've still got half the Premier League seasons to go, such as it with the World Cup in the middle of it. But when we get to that business end, is there a chance now that this signing of Leandro Trossard, you know, it's only £27 million in the market today. That's quite, you know, that pocket change. I think we were talking on Friday and said that that's probably about worth about £8 million about 15 years ago, such as inflation and how prices have grown in football. But is this a, a very... Acute signing from Mikel Arteta to make sure that Arsenal can now start, you know, rotating the likes of Saka, likes of Martinelli, can even play through the middle as well. We said that if Gabriel Jesus doesn't return from injury in a timely enough period, and maybe Inketia might need a bit of resting as well if we come to that period. Trossard's ability to play across the front line could be quite crucial for Arsenal. Yeah, it could be. I think it was a, a signing that, that caught a lot of people maybe a little bit off guard. I think Trossard was a big part of what Brighton were doing, and then suddenly just fallen out with them so he goes to Arsenal and he's definitely the second choice there I don't think anyone's expecting him to to take Martinelli's spot or to take Saka's spot or to get himself ahead of Jesus and, and Eddie Nketiah so I think it is definitely a player to supplement what Arsenal have at the minute but I do think if you look at their squad depth they did need a player like him you know I don't think they had a player that could fill in the gaps and you'd be happy if you know if Saka or Martinelli got injured, Trossard coming in is not exactly a, a 
it's a little bit of a downgrade, but he would still do a job. You've seen what he's done at Brighton this season. He's a he's a top player, and I think for the fee they paid twenty seven million pounds, it's as you said, it's kind of like pocket change. You know, it's it's not a huge fee. It's not like they've paid fifty sixty million pounds for him. Um, so I think I think it's a good bit of business. And he came on yesterday, and he had a few nice little flicks. You know, I think he had a, a dribble on the edge of the box. He took on a couple of players and maybe won a free kick. So I think he's a it's a it's a decent move. Uh, for Arsenal. Talking about Marcus Rashford though, Nathan, um, another player that, that played particularly well yesterday, albeit in a losing cause uh, for Manchester United. Um, another great goal as well. Um, yeah, fantastic goal, uh, really. He's in the form of his life right now. There's no other way to say it, is there? You know, he's kind of really stepped up and, and kind of such a contrast to last season where it seemed that that try as he might, it just didn't go his way, whatever it was, you know, performances and everything else. He just, he, he wasn't Marcus Rashford, was he? But now this season, he's back. Something has clicked somewhere. If it's a new manager, if something's changed off field potentially as well, the mindset that he's in and everything else. Um, of course, he just seems a, a totally different player. And he looks like the man that, yes, Manchester United have lost Cristiano Ronaldo. And yes, he wasn't the Cristiano Ronaldo that he was five, ten years ago when he returned to Old Trafford. But he seems to be stepping up and filling that void and, and kind of everyone's now thinking, Cristiano, who, look at Marcus Rashford here, he is the man to take us forward. Yeah, I mean, another player that's on fire confidence-wise and he probably is in the form of his life because although he's had good streaks uh, when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer first came in, he was electric, but the whole team was sort of playing like that, whereas there's been games where he scored important goals and he's acted as that bit of a talisman. I think Wolves away summed it up in that he came on as a sub and changed the game for United. Um, and yeah, he has he has powered them through a lot of times. And I think yesterday, I think like Bruno Fernandes probably didn't have the desired impact he wanted. Wawegos played well, but I, I don't think he was ever going to be the key to, to really troubling Arsenal. I think Max Rashford had that responsibility with both on the counter-attack, the pace, but also to be clinical, which has been a, a criticism of his game that he's never been the best finishing he does seem to score the more spectacular skilled goals rather than the scruffy goals, but that's because he likes being on that left and he likes having that bit more space. And it was it was an unstoppable shot. It was it was something that Ramsdale couldn't do anything about because it whizzed in too fast. He had space to shoot, which Wegos did drag um, Gabriel away, which was good movement. But yeah, Rashford is just seems central to anything United do well and uh, it's 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 really good to see him being back because last year was was both difficult to watch I think from a United fans perspective but also every football fan I think it was uh, I think it was a strange sort of situation but everything feels refreshed probably symbolic of the club and um, yeah yesterday just uh, was another reminder of just how well he's doing. Nathan, as a as a, a bit of a United fan on the show, as we touched on earlier on, just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on on where you think that kind of game leaves Man United at the minute. I kind of, for me, for someone from the outside, I kind of have the feeling that the reason why Arsenal were able to to win yesterday is perhaps because they're a little bit further along in their development in their journey under Mikel Arteta um, than than obviously Eric Ten Hag is having only arrived at Manchester United in the summer. And just kind of wanted to get your thoughts whether or not you you kind of agree with that. At which point I will uh, suddenly have a massive head, you know, reading it the way a Man United fan would as well. But equally as well, where you think this can kind of you know what what success would look like for United over the the, the closing months of the season. Uh, yeah, I think that the, it was a bit of a buzzword reality check and Roy Keane used it and I think people latched onto it and I suppose it is, but there's a lot of 
you know, United have had plenty of false dawns and they've gone up the roller coaster, they've gone down it and things like that. And I think that it's quite right that Arsenal, yes, they're further along, but everyone will always point to the fact, well, Man United can still, even when they're poor, can still go out and sign Casemiro after a poor season. They can go out and sign these players. And I think that there is a level of expectation that it has to be a bit quicker. I think Arteta was afforded a lot of grace with, there seemed to be just a, a bit of a defeatist attitude at Arsenal for a while where they just said, well, we are nowhere near, let's let's give them a try. And I, I think at the start of this season, the point was to get back in the Champions League after it hurt so well. So in a way, Arsenal are probably a bit ahead of schedule. But United, uh, there's no reason to panic off that result. I think the, the Palace game is is the more concerning one, the performance itself, because I don't think you could, you know, good Man United sides have gone to Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, City in the past, been under the caution, got beat and sort of not been able to say they deserve to win the game, even the best United side. So I don't think it's any trouble uh, yesterday's game. I, I don't think Ten Hag will spend much time assessing it. I, I think the Palace game will be the bigger warning sign. And I, I think three cup games in a row coming now will be a test of that sort of mental strength, the sort of what minerals they have, because there will be pressure points in that. And United, it's all well and good going on a run of league game, league game, you know, winnable game and these type of things. But they need some tests and the team is only going to get better with tests. And, uh, you know, winning a cup would be the summary of that, I think, because it's bigger games, there's the pressure on and it's a bit of a step. So... I think a lot of Man United fans, although getting in the Champions League is priority for the club, I actually think there's a bit of a yearning for trophies now. And I think that I think that's what fans his, his minds will be on because that would be that would feel a bit bigger than finishing with no trophies and finishing fourth on last day and thinking, well, let's hope we win one next year. Connor, just finally, uh, before we move on to some other talking points on, on the Arsenal Man United game, um, just finally on Arsenal. This isn't, like again, I've not given away any trade secrets here by saying earlier that I am a Tottenham fan and this isn't anyway denigrating what Arsenal have done so far this season. They've had a brilliant season, they're doing fantastically well and they have a very talented squad. But I can't help but feel that there's almost an element of when Leicester went to the title back in 2016 around the, the kind of narrative around Arsenal and that, you know, we, we even spoke this morning, you even said it at the top of the show about, you know, it'd be nice if Arsenal do have a blip, do lose some games and, and they chuck it away. There kind of feels like that there is this whole, you know, look at look at how many points Arsenal have at this stage. 50 points after 19 games is nothing to be sniffed at. On target for 100 points, again, nothing to be sniffed at. But it kind of almost feels like we're kind of going, ah, oh, well, I've got to beat this one. And they've got, you know, you look at the last two games that they had, or well, they've not won at Spurs in a while. They've ticked that one off. Oh, you know, Manchester United, they, they lost to them earlier in the season. They ticked that one off yesterday. They've got Man City coming up. I know it's in the FA Cup. Points aren't up for grabs, of course. But that would be a great psychological blow if they can get a win at, at the Etihad uh, on Friday night in the FA Cup against their probably their biggest and only title rival left standing in Man City. Is there is there an element of that that kind of everyone's kind of expecting, you know, where we've expected Leicester to fall off back in 2016, that it's still... You know, rightly or wrongly, there's still this expectation, this belief that Arsenal will will suffer a blip at some point, but they keep proving people wrong every single week now. They keep making that step, that next step, and that next step towards that title. Yeah, I think you know Nathan said that they're ahead of the development. Um, it's, it's similar to Leicester in some senses that it has come a little bit out of the blue. I don't think anybody at the start of the season really felt that Arsenal were title contenders. I think most people felt it was going to be Man City again with Liverpool just behind. I think. They were the only two teams really in consideration, um, certainly the way the Premier League is. But I think this year we've seen the Premier League maybe come together in, in 
competitiveness. I think there's it's a, a bit more of a competitive league this season. There's a lot of teams who I think you know we don't we don't have obviously bad teams like we've had in previous years, and I think that's helped that you know Man City have lost games this season that I think three or four years ago. The, the gulf between them and everyone else was just so big. I think that that gap's kind of came in a little bit now, but I think Arsenal have been near enough perfect this season, you know, and to do 50 points a game would be virtually impossible. I would say, I think that they've had nigh on, well, I said perfect. It's been the perfect start of the season for them. I know they've dropped a few points, but 50 points is nothing to be sniffed at. You think of that Pep team that got 100 points, you know, to, to match that would be unbelievable. And I, and I don't see that happening. For me, the important thing for Arsenal is, is is how they bounce back from the inevitable slip-up. I know they've drawn some games. They drew against Newcastle the other week, but Newcastle are third. It wasn't exactly a, a disastrous result. But it's what happens if they do maybe drop. They're at Goodison Park in a few weeks' time. You know, that, that Goodison Park could be a tricky game you know, it can be a game where you slip up. And we've seen many big teams last season. They won games against the teams at the top when they were trying to survive relegation. But what happens if they lose that game? Do they bounce back from that? Do they then go on a, on a bad run because they've lost their heads a little bit? It, that's what's going to be interesting for me is what happens when they lose a game that they don't expect to lose. Because even when they lost at Man United earlier in the season, you don't, you go, oh, well, it's Man United away you lose that game. That happens. You know, Arsenal haven't won at Man United that often in the past. It's it's kind of a, you just sort of let that one go. When they lose against a team that's maybe lower in the league, if it happens, it's, it's how the, the bounce back from that. And the other thing I'd say at the minute with Arteta and his mannerisms is I think he's becoming more and more obsessed with winning. He seems to be a bit more full of antics on the touchline that he isn't normally in. Is that the fear of if they did lose a game or drop points, how that could affect the team, like uh, the the claw on the fact that they're winning games and that's how they're going to build for the rest of the season is just winning, winning, winning. So I think they're in a, a great place to win the league. And I think you would say that they're definitely favourites. We know Man City can go on a run. I think they've done 18 straight wins before. So, you know, they could win every game from now at the end of the season. But I, I think Arsenal have, have given themselves a real opportunity and I, I would tip them to win the league. I think you'd be an idiot to go against them right now, but I'm really keen to see how they bounce back from from setbacks from now at the end of the season. Moving on to uh, other parts of the Premier League now, Nathan. Um, Everton, a bit a big talking point. I kind of mentioned in there um, about how it could be a tricky game. It could be a completely different manager uh, in the dugout as well than, than what we're anticipating at the minute. Um, after after the weekend's game against West Ham, there was a suggestion that Frank Lampard uh, may no longer be in place for much longer. I'm mindful of what I'm saying here so that the podcast might come out and the news may have happened, but there, there are suggestions at Goodison Park that there is a change in the offing. Um, Frank Lampard may not be Everton manager for much longer. What what a job for whoever comes in there. I'm mindful of, of even saying who, who might come in because, of course, you might get a statement that says that there could be someone who, who is in charge, interim charge for the rest of the season. But for whoever does potentially end up replacing Lampard, and again, as I said, you know, the, the noises are Monday morning as we're recording this show that he won't be able to manage her for much longer. What a job for whoever comes in there. Yeah, it's it, it's a tough ask and it's very similar to last year. It's that time in January where uh, obviously the chat, they'll have longer than what Lampard had on deadline day last year, but there's the enticing opportunity of the transfer window, still a long way to go. You could sort of sail smoothly out of it, which Lampard didn't manage to do. But 
and then it, it was quite late when they actually confirmed survival. But it wasn't it wasn't a great escape, and there was a bit of confidence in the summer, and obviously it's, it's fallen flat. But yeah, whoever replaces him, whether it be a Sean Dyche, whether it be someone from internally in Everton, or whether it be a bit of a rogue shout, it, it's a really tough ask. And the new stadium, the the noise upstairs, which you know, even when they're moving to the new stadium, the fans aren't going to be content. The squad itself is. It, it does feel like a mishmash of you know different managers and stuff. It, it's actually it's probably quite a similar situation to Man United, but a bit lower in that you feel like all the resources were there, but almost with the size of the club compared to maybe a Brentford or something like that, it's it's more difficult to get your house in order. And I don't think Everton, whether it be Bill Kenwright, Farad Mashiri, a manager, a group of players, no one's been able to get a, a grip of it. I think even. You know, when Moyes left and when Martinez came in, there was a lot of green shoots with the type of players that they landed on. But it's deteriorated since then, and there's been very little to very little to shout about. And I think people will say, "Oh well, will it benefit them going down? Can they rebuild?" I'm not sure Everton fans would be safe in the knowledge that that would happen because it, it took Aston Villa a little bit of a while. It's easy looking at Burnley and Sheffield United, but they didn't seem to have much turmoil. You know, they were they were steady, but if Everton went down, there could be a lot of repercussions. So I think obviously the the main goal is survival. But yeah, um, the, the Arsenal game is it, it's one of them, isn't it? it? It's set up for because obviously there's a break with the FA Cup. It's set up for a new manager having had ten straight days on the training ground, half twelve kick off at Goodison. It's set up for as especially after Arsenal beating Man United, it's, it's set up for a slip up. You can just tell, and they actually got to Anfield after that. So that's the first two games. So. You just never know. It could be one of those stories where a new manager comes in and they finally uh, pick up something at Anfield in front of fans for the first time in ages. So uh, it's massive. But like Connor was saying before, there isn't really any weak teams, and I think that's what's probably scaring West Ham, Everton, even with their you know quality slash money that they've spent. That there's no really there's no team that are probably guaranteed to go down yet. Some people are saying Bournemouth, but they rallied against a, a good point against Nottingham Forest the other day. So. It's it's messy down there, but like at the top, there is a long way to go because of the World Cup break. There will there will there'll be a lot more twists, and it feels like there's a long you know there is a longer way down the road than, than sometimes where we usually are in January, where some teams are almost some teams can feel like they're down by this time of year. Yeah, you said there about kind of weaker teams, and there was obviously that perception with Forest earlier in the season that they were kind of you know nailed on for relegation, and then look what happens when you got on a good run of form, a couple of wins, and, and kind of now they're looking upwards potentially towards uh, the top half of the table. It's mad down there at the bottom. Um, but we spoke about one manager who seems to be um, in in Frank Lampard on his way out. Another one who equally seems to be on his way out, whether or not it's this month or perhaps when his contract expires in the summer, is uh, Antonio Conte at my beloved. Tottenham um, looks like the unhappy marriage might finally come to an end for sure in, in, in the summer. There are talks about whether or not it could end a little bit earlier this window, giving perhaps anyone that Spurs are looking at an opportunity to, to assess the squad before the summer for sure. Um, and of course, using for sure there was not an intended pun against Antonio who loves to use that in his press conferences. But Nathan, this has been, um, you know, while he was able to get Tottenham into, uh, in, into the Champions League positions last year, this is not a surprise to hear this news coming out of Italy that, that you know, kind of Conte himself probably isn't keen on, on extending his contract to both sands of it. The Spurs board are also not keen on extending his contract because of his his uh, use of press conferences to, to kind of rail against the board for their lack of perceived investment in the squad as well. Yeah, it's, um, it has been an unhappy marriage and it's really strange. I remember the night where 
Burnley managed to beat them. And I think it was in the spring and people were thinking Conte was going to go there and he did that infamous post-match interview. And then all of a sudden, they end up finishing above this Arsenal side who were top of the league. And when they beat them at, at Tottenham uh, late in the season, it felt like Spurs had, had bounced back, they'd, they'd really fired back and Conte had got them going. But it never really has. And I, I think... There was a good analogy I actually saw. I can't credit who it was. I saw it on Twitter that Chelsea have ended up with a bit of a project manager and Tottenham have ended up with an instant win manager. And the two clubs couldn't be different. Conte has ended up at a club where, you know, the emphasis can't be on winning trophies at the moment because that's not where they are. It's why Pochettino had such a good run because the, you know, what was given to him, the mandate that was given to him was rebuild those, get us competing again, go on a bit of a journey. Whereas Conte doesn't really want that. Conte will have six months of seeing who he likes and then he'll and then he'll go for it. And I think I always thought Graham Potter, the next step up, I thought it would be after Conte at Tottenham. Um, and that hasn't happened because I think obviously he went to Chelsea. And I think that Tottenham now will be looking, what did they do? They've gone for obviously Nuno, who's a bit of a Premier League proven. They've gone for Mourinho and Conte, you know, the instant winners, the ones who they think can drag the squad up, drag the club with them. But eventually, I think it screams Pochettino coming back, just the predicament they're in. Um, I think Conte, yeah, he, he probably just... It's one of them. I mean, he could stay to the end of the season, but if they're not going to win a trophy and that he doesn't go there to finish in the top four, that's not why he's there. He's Finishing the top four last year was Champions League money, getting the prestige back, and it was it was a building block. But... I can't see him getting in the Champions League again, then having another season of reshaping the squad. I just don't think it's it's what he wants to do, but he may prove us wrong, but all the sounds are coming out that he doesn't fancy it. So Spurs, yeah, are going to have to start looking and I think it will be a long-term project. I think, you know, could Harry Kane even go? Possibly not, but there's still a lot of senior players that it's probably time to move on. Lloris, Hyungwin Son's not looked the same. I'm sure there's plenty, plenty uh, to get out of him yet, but does feel a little bit like there there could be another little rebuild on and I think I think Pochettino I mean a lot of supporters I imagine would probably quite welcome that and if they could just sort of reset and they always felt like they were going upwards for a long long time Tottenham and even after the Champions League final I think people were still thinking you know they're not they're not there yet for winning the Champions League level but it's gone downwards and unfortunately it does spell does spell the end and I think the writing has been on the wall like you say for a while so it's no surprise, and it shouldn't be a surprise to the board. So hopefully they've uh, hopefully they've planned ahead, because if they were trusting Conte to stay for the long haul, then I think they might be a bit mistaken. <laughs> well, I, I suspect we'll find out this month as to whether or not they've been planning ahead uh, with you know guys like Thomas Tuchel and Mauricio Pochettino available. You would suspect that if you are a clever board and, and have good forward planning, that if you've got a manager whose contract is expiring in the summer, he doesn't want to be there past the summer and you've got two targets that are both available, ready for work at the minute in the middle of a January window to give them that time to perhaps come in and assess the squad, you would like to think that they would take that opportunity even if it does cost them a few million pounds in getting rid of said incumbent manager a little bit early. But anyway, that's my my, my take on it all. Um, and as for who comes in... Um, I'm not fussed either way if it's whoever's been linked to it is too or if it's Pochettino I know you know she said their fans would be happy for Pochettino to come back I think that kind of ran its course in the end um, hilariously and I think if you look at our Premier League form and I say that before I go on to my next point if you look at our Premier League form 
from the kind of uh, the, the year leading up, possibly the 18 months leading up to that Champions League final. Yes, Pochettino did take us to, to almost the zenith of European football, but I think the league form in particular was quite poor and I kind of I wouldn't have been too upset to have seen him gone in 2018. Such was the kind of drop-off in league form. And yes, I do realise I am saying that because 12 months later, he then takes us to the Champions League final. But honestly, look at the form and, and you kind of see that there. Um, anyway, moving on to our final point uh, this morning. Erling Haaland's back among the goals uh, in the Premier League. Of course, all that you need to do is just play Tottenham by the look of it. Um, obviously, getting the goals on, on Thursday night. Gets another hat-trick against Wolves. Seems to be back in the swing of things now. That that recent goal drought is is kind of forgotten, um, you know, for, pushed push to the back of his mind. And as we said at the top of the show, we kind of think now that it's a, a kind of race between Arsenal and Manchester City. Whether or not Man City in that perhaps slightly unusual role under Pep Guardiola of playing the chasers, having to play catch up um, and, and trying to take down the leaders. He's going to be crucial, isn't he? I know it sounds so silly and I know we've probably said this multiple times in this show before already, but Erling Haaland could be what getting him back in scoring form at least definitely is going to be what proves crucial potentially for Man City in this chasing down of Arsenal. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a strange one on Man City because you feel like the first half of seasons they go trucking along and they're usually they stay in most competitions and they almost have five or six big games a year that, that will sort of define the season and it, it seems to be more and more repetitive and I think last season was a good example. Obviously Liverpool ended up pushing them but City kept going. City obviously had Real Madrid in the Champions League, which didn't work out. Uh, they did get knocked out in in the Cups earlier. and um, But they still went on to win the league. And it feels like Haaland, I think he will decide, possibly decide those bigger games for City. But whether that comes in the Champions League, I mean, it's elusive for them now. They were so, they've obviously been so close both of the last two seasons. Uh, you, you can imagine that they're just desperate for that. But... You can't. You've just got to go step by step with the Champions League. The league can be more immediate. You know, you can. Guardiola's always wanted to prioritise the league because it is. It's the thing you can control a bit more. There's no control in a crazy two-legger if if you get put up against a great team and someone's injured and things like that. You know, it's a cup competition. So, I think Haaland, in a way, people say does he make them play worse and things like that. I don't think we'll find out until what City finish with because. City obviously play some sublime football and it's great to watch. But ultimately, if they were to come out of this season with the league and Champions League by both of them by the skin of the teeth, I don't think people will mind. And the style, I think even Guardiola, I think to an extent that his interview the other night almost was saying that maybe the players are prioritising the football a bit too much with the fire. And it's a bit of a more catchphrase you'd hear from a struggling team, we need more passion, we need more fire, not a team that are, are very, very good and have the ability to control a game. I think he's thinking that maybe let's go down the Haaland route where however we find this goal, we'll win the game because they've played great football and things, but maybe he wants to be a little bit more pragmatic. Maybe the squad with you know De Bruyne maybe slowing up a bit, um, you know Phil Foden's out of form, things like that. Maybe he's just thinking that, Let's play a different bit of a way of football because he's dropped some big names. You know, he likes of Cancelo, Diaz. They've not been in the team. And I, I think he's wanting to to shake City up a bit. But, you know, there will come crunch points where does he decide to pick Cancelo and Walker in the bigger games? Does he does he dare drop Ireland for a game where he, he's screaming in the back of his head, we should play with, the, you know, a false nine? Does he dare do that? So uh, I, think, I think everyone will admit if City are on... If City are on it, 
Arsenal will have a heck of a fight to win the league and whoever faces them in the Champions League are going to have a heck of a fight. But they are prone to off days. And I, I think that the stance that Guardiola took, I think it can go one or two ways. You've seen teams explode after the manager's gone after them. But it's very hard to doubt a team that have won four out of the last five league titles. They are really good at getting their heads down and winning games. That massive run that went on in the, the spring of 2019 was just unprecedented. They just kept winning. And I think it'd be be difficult to doubt the mentality and their, uh, the prowess that they've got because you feel like if they're in it and they're switched on and they're firing on all cylinders, they will be unstoppable. And I, th- I think Arteta will know that. I think the league will know that. And hopefully they won't run away with it. And hopefully it won't be a, oh, City just turned up and, and started to win again. But... I think with Haaland, you know, when you see him firing in the goals, it's, it is a scary prospect and you think, how can he be stopped? But it, it has happened a few times this season. So it's a strange one. It's probably the most interesting period City have had under Guardiola since the start. I think for the first time, people are actually asking questions, but they've got the quality to, to shut us all up uh, come May. For sure. Uh, and of course, you can stay up to date with all the latest from the title race, uh, as well as the January transfer window and any potential managerial merry-go-rounds. It seems strange to say that, but we're in January and there could well be one about to start. Um, of course, you can keep up to date with all of the latest on those uh, stories and topics across the Daily Mirror, the Daily Express and the Daily Star website. Uh, but for now, all that is left for me to say is thank you to Nathan and Connor for joining us this morning. Uh, and it leaves me to say goodbye. Goodbye.